Hello and welcome to the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line by one of the Athletics Mets beat writers, Tim Britton. Tim, there is no baseball until Friday. Yeah, we've got several days off. That it, you know, it's. I, I understand why Major League Baseball does the schedule the way it does, but it does feel at a certain point like ah, the the LCS series or the both both LCSs. I'm not sure how grammatically to say that properly. Uh, finished up in four and five games. Uh, why don't we just start the World Series after one day off? Right, and you know, you you say like like you said, there's logistic issues in play, and I think it's a there's certainly that for. Like whatever, whoever's like printing up the World Series banner and all those things needs like the time to get that stuff done. But uh, as a reporter facing those logistics, like I remember, um, I want to say it was it was 2014, winding up like when a series ended early, and then like and so now if you were covering either of those two series and it ended after four or five games, you're sort of just stuck where it's like I don't quite have enough time to merit going back to wherever I came from, um, you know, maybe for a day. Um, but then at the same time, like for me, it was like, now I'm stuck in Kansas City for three days, right? And and I ended up eating a lot of barbecue, which went okay, but it still like sort of puts you in an odd spot. I was going to say, there's got to be worse cities in America to be stuck in for three days in Kansas City. I love Kansas City. Have you been? Have you spent a lot of time in Kansas City? You know, I haven't been there. It, it might be the uh, major league city that it's been the longest since I've been to. Uh, huh. Because, uh, you know, I didn't go when the Mets went in 2019. Uh, so I haven't gone since I was on the Red Sox beat, which was probably like... 2015-ish or so was the last time I went there. Uh, but I, I really do like it. You know, World War II Museum is... a. Uh, is sorry world war one museum is there uh is excellent uh the uh, negro league museum is great the jazz museum is really nice Mm -hmm. i like have you ever been to winstead's there no which what is winstead's it's like a late night fast food drive-through milkshake place which is i have i have been to that yes i I know exactly where because there's only like three places to eat after midnight in kansas city and that's one of them it's winstead's it's sonic and it's something else (laughs) right as the the taco bell right across the street from the stadium (laughs) right uh, so yeah, I, I like Kansas. Mets Mets go there next year, actually in 2023. So maybe maybe that will end my drought of of not having gone to Kansas City. Well, my barbecue spot after those three days of of very intense research, I determined that it's LC's is the place to be for barbecue in Kansas City. Write that down now. Okay, let's go to Kansas. People, um, people don't have strong opinions on that. It's a hole in the wall. It's like it's not. It doesn't have the like the pomp and circumstances of some of the other places, but uh, the best food uh, in in at least in my uh, again like a pretty extensive survey of Kansas City barbecue <laughs> that week. Um, this is as of twenty fourteen. I would say I was back in twenty fifteen. Uh, let's talk about this World Series and and how it pertains to the Mets because uh, something you you pointed out, which I thought was an interesting. Uh, an interesting note when we talk about uh, how to try to guess what's going to happen in a three or five or seven game series um, is about how teams in the postseason tend to score more of their run- runs by via the home run uh, than during the regular season, uh, which is interesting. I think there's there's probably, and we've discussed this before, probably something uh, about that has to do with just facing better pitching. You're less likely to uh, score runs as the Mets did so often this year by putting lots of guys on base and creating traffic and and uh, capitalizing on a on a single or whatever. The Astros bullpen. Uh, have you have you looked at the the home run rates of the Astros bullpen? <laughs> I haven't, but I assume they're good. 
uh, they're so good. Um, they're so the the four guys they pitched in. I want to say game four, which were Rafael Montero, f- familiar to Mets fans, uh, Hector Neris, also familiar to Mets fans, uh, Brian Abreu and Ryan Presley. During this season combined, uh, they allowed twelve homers in two hundred and forty-two and a third innings, uh, which is a .4 rate of home runs per nine innings. Uh, Edwin Diaz was the only guy on the Mets staff who could match, like, the Astros' entire staff's home run rate. Um, Seth Lugo and and Adovino combined to allow more home runs than basically the entire Astros' bullpen. Uh, so it's just, and, and it's interesting to me because, uh, like, again, like the Mets, like if you look at the stats, they had a pretty good bullpen this season. It's not about that. But uh, if you think about the personnel that the Astros found or or developed or however you want to say they're coming to these guys because that's another point of it um if you add ryan stanick 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 uh and hunter brown who was up who was a, a starter in the and sort of back and forth uh they combined to allow two home runs in 75 innings so the, the like the bullpen of the astros uh the, the postseason bullpen uh, of i think everyone who pitched in the nlcs combined to allow only 14 homers in 30 in 3 317 and a third innings like that's an astonishing rate and that to me suggests like this is something they're trying hard to do well, you know, Houston plays in that uh, notoriously difficult home ballpark to home running right, where every right. fly ball to, to medium depth left field is gone. Uh, it is, you know, it's. I think the we, we talk a lot about what the like the Astros how they set themselves up for this run by tanking right in in 2011 mm-hmm. through 2013. Um, but uh, so much of what they're they are now like they, I feel like they have very few of the remnants of that still That's there like yeah it's, it's like alex bregman is still there he was a number two draft pick uh lance mccullers is still there he's a guy that they used uh their their excess bonus pool to draft mm-hmm. uh later than he would have otherwise gone uh but you know you look at their starting rotation you look at their bullpen a lot of it is uh a a victory in international signings that's guys like jose urquidy and luis garcia and christian javier like that They've got six good starting pitchers at a time when almost no one else has four. Um, and and all the guys, that, like of those guys they developed, none of those guys was like, oh, this guy's a can't-miss prospect. They were all fringe-type guys, and now they're all great. Right, and, and then they've taken, you know, you look at the back end of their bullpen. Abreu is another international signing. I, I'll be honest, I did not know who he was until this postseason. I'm like, oh, this guy's really good. Um, Ryan Presley is a guy who was a Rule 5 pick off of the Red Sox by Minnesota and then had, you know, some okay years in Minnesota. Uh, the Astros traded for him and turned him into one of the game's better closers. Right, uh, we, right. We know about Montero kind of in that same vein. So that, you know, it's when we talk about the Mets, you know, we, we've spent so much time talking about them being the East Coast Dodgers. Uh, you know, there's there's an element you also want to be the East Coast Astros to an extent. You want to do so, you know, you can take things from different organizations uh, that they succeed and excel in. And one thing, you know, L.A. does this too, obviously, is taking players who didn't fit a different another team's role or didn't, you know, other teams did not maximize that guy's potential and getting the most out of them. And, and especially at a time when the Mets have to sign, have no bullpen to speak of, basically. Like, the bullpen is the area where you can get creative. It's the, bull, the area where you can find uh, inexpensive talent uh, and kind of mold it into something that is better than that. 
they would, need to like they need the Astros software, like whatever they've uploaded into Rafael Montero, the Mets need to have. Right. You you know, like the, the Mets they could this offseason sign Rafael Montero to a two year, eighteen million dollar contract or something like that. But that's um, exactly the because, wrong way to go about he's it. Right? That's exactly agency. the wrong way to do it. Yeah. Um or they could try to unearth the next Rafael Montero. Uh, a, a guy who you know didn't quite make it as a starter, maybe, but has the skills to be really good as a reliever in the back end. It's fascinating to me with the Astros because it's like the I, I don't know what it's like the hammer paradigm. You know, like when they say like, oh, you buy a hammer and then you after ten years you replace the handle and then after another ten years you replace the head of the hammer. Is it still the same hammer? Like the the Astros have had total turnover in their front office at this point, right? Jeff Luno was was canned and and exiled and the Orioles hired half of the rest of their their front office and scouting department uh other guys have been ousted in scandal like uh, the new manager uh Brent Strom who was who was a a huge part of their what they did pitching wise he left last year um it feels like somehow they just set themselves up like organizationally so well and so comprehensively for this type of success that they could just keep turning these guys over and 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 still field a good team every year. Yeah, I, I did see uh, on Yankees Twitter. I guess someone had pointed out that you know, oh, the, all the Yankees front office people have been there for so long, and all the Astros front office people have have only just gotten there in 2020 or something. Uh, and, and maybe you know, Yankees need to be ahead of the curve the way the Astros are. And it's like, well, you're missing a, a big reason why they right. rebuilt their right. front office in 2020. Um, yeah, it's. It is, you know, I, I don't know the details of their like executive hierarchy uh, well enough to know like who the, the common links are, the common denominators over that time. Uh, if it is just kind of, you know, Luno came in and, and set up this system with, with Sig Maydahl and, and Michael Elias, guys who are now in Baltimore, uh, and it's just been able, like they've been able to kind of run the machinery even without them there, run the software. Uh, yeah, but- is it just a computer? Is it like Hal is the GM <laughs> of, of the Houston Astros now? And like everybody, you really just need someone to read out what the computer says and be like, yep, it's our guy is, uh, we want Hector Neris. You know, like it didn't fail. It couldn't couldn't crack the Phillies bullpen, but that guy's going to be lights out for us. The, the, the Phillies let Hector Neris walk so they could sign Jerry's Familia. <laughs> right. And, and they made the World Series anyway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We should talk about that. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, and and you know, you talk about finding, maximizing players' potential, and it's it's not just unearthing the hidden gem. It's also giving 118 million dollars to Zach Wheeler because you think he's uh, better than a league average pitcher that his stats had shown, and that's what the Phillies did. Uh, you know, I, I remember at the time being fairly critical of the Mets. Uh, in their decision not to extend Wheeler, not 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 to really uh, engage in extension talks with Wheeler on a serious level, uh, when he was willing to to stay, uh, not trading him at that trade deadline when you could have gotten more for him. Uh, one thing I did not criticize them for was not like beating the Phillies' offer, <laughs> not giving Zach Wheeler 120 million over right. five years. Uh, but he has he has lived up to that contract and more. Really, I mean, uh, I know uh, Mark Kerrig has said on, on the, the roundtable, one of the athletics uh, baseball shows, that, you know, name me a starting pitcher contract basically since Scherzer's with the Nationals that has worked out better than Zach Wheeler's in Philadelphia. Uh, and uh, to see him have, you know, he's carried that success into the postseason, uh, that, that roster. I, I think there, there's a part of you as a Mets fan. Obviously, you don't like seeing the Phillies win if you're a Mets fan. Um, and there's, there's a, the double-edged sword because you're watching Wheeler as a big part of it. 
and you're watching JT Real Muto as a guy who, you know, the Mets could have gone after more aggressively a couple of years ago when they decided to sign James McCann instead. Uh, there are a couple of what ifs when you're watching that team play. That's definitely true. Um, one of the, just to go back to the point uh, we were making about Montero, one of the what ifs I never would have said was like when, and I, and I don't remember a lot of controversy about uh the Mets having Brad Hand and letting him go, and yet Brad Hand winds up playing a fairly big role in the Phillies bullpen. Did not do well in the in the NLCS, but uh, that was a guy who would have been really useful for the Mets this year. And I don't think a lot of people were like, "Oh, Brad Hand is the mistake that's going to cost them in 2022." Uh, what was it? Was it? I think it was Brandon Drury got a hit off Brad Hand, and and Anthony DeComo was like a real battle of former Mets. Uh, right. And there were, there were a bunch of people on Twitter like, when was Brad Hand on the Mets? Like, I yeah. remember Brandon Drury, but Brad Hand? <laughs> right. Everybody remembers the Brandon Drury era. <laughs> we remember that that stretch in, in July of 2021 when he had like eight straight hits with four extra base hits. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's just, I guess, it, it um, like the Phillies, I think, get credit for partly for getting hot at the right time, which we, as we discuss, is like a thing that happens sometimes. Um, I think you could probably also give them credit for being like, for zagging a little bit when, when the rest of the league is zigging. Like, it seems like there's almost, there's almost always some value in that. And just being like, like, to, to heck with everything. Let's just put Schwarber and Castellanos in the outfield. Uh, how bad could they be out there? And like, it's, it's pretty bad, but uh, home runs are worth a lot. I mean, it's remarkable considering that, like, you know, they, they signed both of those guys. The idea was, like, you can't put either of them in the outfield. Uh, right. Like, they're both designated hitters. And then Harper has the injury, so he has to DH. And now you've got to, you've got to put both those guys out there. Uh, and, you know, they haven't, until they, they traded for Brandon Marsh in July, they didn't have uh, an everyday center fielder either. Uh, so they, you know... <laughs> They had a lot of things go wrong earlier in the year, uh, not just during that, that, what, 21 and 29 start, I think it was, 22 and 29, something like that, uh, you know, but, and for them to get hot at the right time, it, you know, we talked about at the start of the postseason a little bit that, you know, your depth gets you through the regular season, but in the postseason, you kind of need your stars to show up. And I think, right. you know, this is Dave Dombrowski has done that before with teams. You go back to like his Tigers teams were very top heavy. Uh, you know, the, the 20th guy on the roster was Phil Coke or something like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, you had Miguel Cabrera <laughs> leading that lineup. You had Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer in the rotation. You had a good shot when you got to October. Uh, and this team kind of reminds me a little bit of that because you've got Wheeler and Nola in the rotation. They're, they're leaning on basically three relievers right now. Uh, maybe a fourth if you count Robertson. Uh, and then the, the lineup, it's really like the top four or five guys in that lineup. Uh, was it, I think it was game game four of that series where it's like the top four guys hit like four, four, four or five home runs, <laughs> uh, drove in all ten runs. Uh, you know, that that's what's carrying them is their stars are playing like stars. Right. Uh, and Zach Wheeler, uh, I think uh, just to go back to the to something you mentioned earlier, like as hard as it is to stomach the Phillies in the World Series, I don't think you're going to find a Mets fan anywhere uh, with ill will towards Zach Wheeler. 
I think you can find a Mets fan anywhere. With that's Ill true. Will you can find anyone a, you, who's ever yes, played for the true. New York Mets. Right. You could be uh, like, like, what do you think about Jackie Robinson? There are some Mets fans out there who have who have Ill, right. Are there any any Roberto like all the great legends of of humanitarianism in baseball? There is a Mets fan who hates somewhere. Um, but, there's, but there's someone somewhere who's like, you know, that Seaver got greedy in '77. I'm glad right, we traded. Right. Um, of course. Um, but by and large, like I feel like Zach Wheeler, even as a guy who went and took a big contract for a division rival like everybody's like well yeah well you know I, I don't know it feels like maybe the uh maybe i've just surrounded myself with more reasonable people as i as i like proceed through adulthood but i think uh like maybe it was just i think it was one of those deals where it was like everybody kind of wanted the mess to bring zach wheeler back everybody saw the size of the deal and and at that at that point it was like oh that's uh you know and that's gonna prevent them from doing this and this and this and this good for zach wheeler for getting paid and i think uh this that same group of people can now say like good for zach wheeler for you know being all that he can be and and look zach wheeler being this kind of pitcher that's getting other pitchers paid too. That's getting, yeah. you know, that's Zach Wheeler being this good is a reason Kevin Gosman signed the deal he signed last year. It's mm-hmm. a reason Robbie Ray signed the deal he signed last year. It's a reason Carlos Rodon is going to sign the deal that he's going to sign this offseason. Guys who you knew have a lot of talent uh, that uh, hadn't put it together for a five year span, but had done it for a year or two, uh, and that you can bank on them continuing that progress even after signing a deal in free agency. Uh, that that Wheeler has has kind of lifted up a lot of other pitchers in that same pool. Let's talk about the Mets in free agency, which is something you are focused on now in your writing at the Athletic with Will Salmon. Uh, starting with a, a very interesting free agent case because uh, he is a singular player. Actually, the Mets, the, the both that you've written up so far are singular players on on this offseason market. But uh, there are not a lot, of, a lot of guys out there like Brandon Nimmo who filled a role that the Mets very much valued and needed. Um, what do they have to do to bring him back, and will they? Yeah, it's, it's kind of remarkable. We've spent, I feel, I feel like, you know, I've only been on the beat since 2018, but so much of 2018 going into 19, 19 into 20, and 20 into 21 was, how are the Mets going to find a two-way, everyday center fielder? Because... Let, let's be like Nimmo did not look like that guy defensively in center field. Mm-hmm. You know, you go back to 2018 and Mickey Calloway saying, yeah, like all things considered, we want Conforto in right and Nimmo in left. Um, and they, you know, they tried with, with various guys to find a, a center fielder. And it turns out the best one was just Brandon Nimmo playing tw- 10 steps back from where he had been previously. Right. Uh, and now that they found that two way center fielder, he hits free agency. Uh, and, you know, it, He's going to get a bigger deal than I think a lot of fans expect going in. Like he is, he is almost certainly, I think, a nine-figure player. He's going to sign a hundred million dollar contract. Uh, I wrote in the the story that I did with Will that you know it's probably like five for one fifteen and maybe even seven for one forty. That kind of contract mm-hmm. for Brandon Nimmo, uh, and so it's it's not an easy decision when you're talking about money that large for a player who's never made an All Star team. But when you look at kind of the contributions. That he's made to the Mets, uh, the way that he's, fuf- I think, you know, more than fulfilled his potential uh, with New York. Uh, you know, like their offensive identity is—he's—it's not just that he's a fit for their offensive identity. It's kind of like he's crafted it himself, uh, and everyone mm-hmm. else has kind of followed suit. And and Billy Epler talked in the the postseason uh, press conference after the po- the post postseason press conference um, about kind of how he liked the Mets grinded out 
identity as an offense. Uh, and Nimmo is such a critical part of that. He's really, you know, he led them in pitches per plate appearance. Uh, he was in the top 20 in Major League Baseball in that stat. The Mets as a team were just league average. Uh, but Nimmo was, was kind of the, the forerunner uh, at, at the forefront of doing that for them. Uh, and, you know, kind of even the bigger question, I think, is if he's, you know, you can you can find ways to replace him in the lineup. You can bump Jeff McNeil up to the top part of the lineup, maybe make Starling Marte a, a leadoff hitter. Like, you've got other options in the leadoff spot, uh, but I don't know that you've got that many other options in center field. Uh, mm-hmm. de- it really depends on how you feel about Marte as a center fielder, because if it's not Nimmo and it's not Marte, man, there's a steep drop off. Right. I mean, you know, like, I think that there's a case you can make where, like, oh, if you have, like, three plus plus corner guy, because Starling Marte is a very good corner outfielder, right? And and so is Marcana. Like, if you say, like, oh, we have three really good corner outfielders and we'll we'll slide one of them to center and we'll sort of cover ourselves there in, in terms of range. But, yeah, like, ideally you'd want a true center fielder out there and, and Nimmo... Quietly. I mean, he, I think that the, what you're saying is right about people are going to be surprised at how, how much money he makes. His skills are are the quiet ones, right? Like, you, you don't see him. He makes a lot of really nice catches. You don't see him make, like, extraordinary catches that often. Uh, he he hits for some power. He doesn't hit a lot of home runs, right? Like, and and his, his best skill offensively is that he gets on base all the time, which is, you know, not it's not the same as Pete Alonso. Yeah, and it's, you know, I thought it was funny. I was talking to one player on the Mets about Nimmo a couple months ago by now, uh, and they were talking about, you know, that they've always thought there's more power in there from him. and that For sure, because uh, when he gets into one, he, he hits it real far. It's not, you know, it's not that he doesn't have the strength. And when you look at it, you know, the 2019 season was the year everyone hit a bunch of home runs, right? That, that was kind of the mm-hmm. rabbit ball season, and that's the year Nimmo missed the most time. Like, he, you know, he had the neck injury that April where he was striking out all the time. Mm-hmm. And he came back in September and, and played pretty well. But this player was like, can you, you know, can you imagine if he just, if he had the whole summer to hit home runs? Like, he could have hit 24, 25 home runs that year. Uh, and then that changes how you think about him as a power hitter. You know, he hit, what, 17 this year? So, uh, like, he can, you know, he's a guy that he goes to a different ballpark. It wouldn't be a surprise to hit him hit, just to see him hit 20 or 25. And the other issue is just, like, the absence of good two-way center fielders in Major right. League Baseball. Like, you look at last year, it's, it's it's Nimmo, it's Julio Rodriguez in Seattle, it's Brian Reynolds in Pittsburgh, you know, Cedric Mullins in Baltimore. Like, who else is, are you not sacrificing something offensively or defensively? You know, the Blue Jays are sacrificing some defense with George Springer. The Yankees are sacrificing some defense when they play Aaron Judge there. Uh, you know, Harrison Bader was a great two-way center fielder for uh, eight games in the playoffs. Um, you know, like th- there's just so few of those guys that Michael uh, Harris. Yeah, oh yeah, Michael Harris the second in, in in Atlanta. That's a, that's a good one. Um, but th- there's so few of those guys out there that it's it's tough to lose one uh, if without a, a a good plan, good backup plan for him. Yeah, to go back to your point about 2019, uh, Mark Hanna is a very similar hitter to Nimmo. Um, but I think, you know, you like if if you just like, you know, ask me gut instinct, like who has more power, I might say Canna. And only because Canna had a full healthy season in 2019 and hit 26 home runs. So you're like, oh, he's like a guy who can hit 25 home runs, even if 2019 is like one giant asterisk. Right. And it's funny. I was looking back at what I wrote last offseason about the Mets. And I had written about Canna, like really good all-around player, underrated from his time in Oakland. Don't see him as a fit because I think the, the Mets need to prioritize slugging over over on-base percentage. Uh, and I feel like it'd be, 
I guess Kana's presence makes it a little easier to let Nimmo go. Like, you know, bringing Nimmo back, Nimmo back, you're looking like, man, it's it's kind of the same offense unless you, you decide to do something different at DH or third base, which you probably won't because you got prospects to fill that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, kind of the, the way they went about building the team last year has put them into this little, this kind of uncomfortable box this year where if they, you know, even if they really wanted to upgrade at power with, upgrade their their power it would mean moving on from Nimmo probably right I mean Vogelbach is an upgrade right like just just having him there for the full season as against right-handers is a bit of an upgrade uh you're right though I mean if you want if you want power there's a there's a center fielder uh, at least in name uh, and and Judge is a guy I think that if you have good corner outfielders, uh, you can you can handle you could you would put up with Aaron Judge in center field for his bat. Uh, is there any chance they make a run? There's a chance. I, I'm you know I I haven't followed the Judge side of thing. Like you know I've seen some reporting uh, from like Andy Martino at SNY that the, the Yankees aren't really sure <laughs> what Judge's intentions are. Um, you know I think if you're if you're Picking team, you probably take the Yankees over the field uh, in terms of where he ends up. And if it's not the well, Yankees, well, it would be. I mean, the the Yankees are at least historically have felt like a very sort of PR conscious team. Um, I was thinking that actually in terms of because I had I had been convinced that that Carlos Beltran would be their next manager, but I think that losing the the ALCS in four games to the Astros makes that an impossibility now, right? Like there's just no way the Yankees would hire Carlos Beltran after losing to the Astros like that. Um, and I feel like it, by the same token, like they're just not going to let Aaron Judge. Like they're not going to say, oh, we have no interest in this guy who just had a historic season for us and came up with our club and we're just going to let him walk away. Like if you're going to if you're going to pay more than the Yankees do, you're going to you're going to pay a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, the the circumstances of their season, uh, not just judges ridiculous season, but but the Yankees season arc as a whole makes it kind of more and more and more imperative for them to resign him. And if it's not if it's not the Yankees, then I think the Giants are probably uh, the, the team you look out for the most. So I, I would say the Mets are, are you know, they might be third or fourth on that list with, with the Dodgers. I know Mark Feinstein of MLB.com was reporting that the Dodgers would have interest. I, the Dodgers' interest. That's, is, I, that's not to doubt Mark's a good guy. I'm not doubting his reporting. But, like, I think that that just about you could always just say the Dodgers have interest yeah I think it's due diligence they'll probably do the same kind of thing they did with Bryce Harper which is offer him like an exorbitant amount of money on a short-term contract um and I would doubt Judge would want to do that considering he just had the best walk year in Major League history um so uh you know there's a chance but I I would not I would not bank on it I think you know for the Mets to sign him it would take uh they would need to uh go to a, a place that you're not expecting and it's you know it's over 300 million by a, a comfortable margin probably at that point and it's probably I mean, it's probably guaranteeing years that uh you 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 don't really want to guarantee to a guy who's going to be 31 next year i'm not i'm not saying they shouldn't do that. like i think that's a conversation they should be what having if is, i had what if i have 21 billion dollars <laughs> right like you know <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want to go to uh, above and beyond eight years and three hundred and twenty million or something? Do should wanna... I buy a second super yacht or should I sign Aaron Judge? <laughs> but you know the super yacht, Ted. You get so much use out of it. You uh, you can. It feels like it's like a you. That's that's your your mansion that floats. But uh, Aaron Judge, it's a lot of home runs. If you had a super yacht, how how often do you think you would take it out? Like. 
Ah, uh, like assuming just, like just for you... a spin, <laughs> like I'm just gonna go like fishing off off the coast a little bit. Uh, I think that you don't you live on a super yacht if you have one. I think they like that's because like the oligarchs, right? Like that's how you escape international sanctions and such is by you just like you. I'm on the sea. You know, I, I read that whole the New Yorker did a whole story on super yachts. Yeah, and I, I retain nothing of it. Uh, uh, I, absolutely, I, I don't know. This is where this is where I got my information as well, and I, and I don't remember a word of it. I just know that they're out there. Right. So so if it's not if it, you know if it's not Nimmo, if it's not Judge, if you don't think Marte is just, is a center fielder, uh, do you have like? Do you have a, a next guy on the list? How do, how far down are we going before you oh, feel? Oh yeah, I mean, no. I looked at your list and there were not a lot of compelling names on there. Mostly because like most of them aren't guys. I think if you want someone who's going to be an offensive downgrade from Nimmo, you at least need him to be like a an above average defensive center fielder. And like other than like unless you're going to try to like like dance with Kevin Kiermeyer next year, like I don't I don't know where where that's coming from. Yeah, I mean, like, Kiermaier is the other center fielder on the market, and, uh, you know, great defensive player, uh, would be an upgrade defensively over Nimmo, but uh, offensively, you know, hasn't done a whole lot and, and has a longer track record of injuries than, than mm-hmm. even Nimmo. So yeah. uh, you've, got, you've got him, you know, Jake Mangum is a guy that we've heard about uh, in the minor leagues, uh, the SEC's all-time leader in hits. He's played 33 games at the AAA level. Uh, not a guy with a, a, a huge draft stock. Uh, was a senior signed the year they drafted Matt Allen. Uh, you know, good player, a player who who's put himself on the major league radar with with some swing changes that he's made in the minor leagues. I think it'd be it'd be awfully difficult at a time when you're coming off a 101 win season. Uh, you're in a win now mode, and you've got other prospects you're trying to work into your lineup in Alvarez, Beatty, and maybe Vientos to add Mangum to that list at a premium defensive spot. What around to Kirk Newenheis? <laughs> Uh, I'm just curious. He's still, I, I he's still kicking. Why was he not at Old Timers Day? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Like, what? Um, he had that three home run game one time, I believe. <laughs> don't don't quote me on that. Uh, we got a question from Nick, can, and wait, I know wait, Nick. Can I, can I throw? Can I throw out one one more idea for center field? Is it about Kirk Neuenheis? It's not about Kirk Neuenheis, but it's tangentially connected because his three-homer in game, obviously against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, a team that does have four good young outfielders. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Corbin Carroll is a, oh, a top Dalton prospect. Oh, Dalton Varsho would be an amazing fit because uh, it covers you for the like having a catcher be a DH thing, too. Right. Uh, so you've got Dalton Varsho, who, who made the All-Star team last year and is a Gold Glove finalist. Uh, you've got... Uh, Corbin Carroll, who just came up toward the end of the season, a highly touted prospect. I don't think Arizona's going to trade either of those guys. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, but they um, have uh, that guy, Jake have, McCarthy, they have was Jake real Jake McCarthy, good. who played some center field, had, you know, if you're looking for a guy who looks like, ha- had kind of Brandon Nimmo's pre-breakout season, and McCarthy's kind of that, like his stats, actually better this year than, than like Nimmo's 2017 in, in part-time action. Yeah, uh, he, he doesn't, he doesn't get on, I don't think historically he's gotten on base like that. Like if you look no, no, at his No, no, he's, yeah. he's a different kind of hitter. Right. Um, but but one who, who's been productive. And then Alec Thomas, who's a top prospect uh, and is a Gold Glove finalist in center field uh, and played a bunch this year. You don't know that he's going to hit and probably would not hit in 2023 <laughs> right off the bat. Uh, but, you know, those are two guys who could be available. And, you know, you know, maybe the Mets look at their prospect pool and say, we've got a couple guys who don't quite fit our roster moving forward. And the Diamondbacks have a surplus in an area where we have need of guys about the same age. Maybe there's a match there. Do you have any interest in James McCann? <laughs> uh, 
This is a question from from Nick. I know Nick to be a reasonable man, so I don't want to. Uh, I just want to go into his questions. He says. Uh, like all Mets fans, I've been a huge fan of Jacob deGrom's for many years. He was must-see TV, even when the Mets were otherwise unwatchable. He was solid during that last start, and I honestly hope he finishes his career in, in Queens. That said, I sometimes question his dedication to the team. Is it me, or does he hit the showers and vanish after he's lifted from a start? I can't remember the last time I saw him late in the game when he just started chatting with Scherzer and Bassett. His absence was notice- noticeable during the first half of the season. Yes, he was injured, but you never saw him in the dugout. He only made an appearance at City to long toss here and there was he allowed to rehab in florida close to his family if so is that special treatment the rest of the team resents um is it sacrilege to question jacob Degrom's dedication physically he's as talented as any pitcher we've ever seen ever and i do want that guy in the mets even as he approaches his mid to late 30s um but if the mets are going to resign him uh he basically nick wants to to know if there's a chance that jacob Degrom will will just say like yes i'll take the right amount of money but i'm not gonna bother with like making a whole big show of my free agency because i know this is a place where i can be quiet and and i figured out how to succeed with the mets without uh putting myself out there i i don't question his commitment to the craft uh mm-hmm. or his, even his commitment like his commitment to the franchise you know you you put so much into being like he's put so much into becoming the pitcher that he is you know this was not uh he was not born with all of that talent just kind of fully realized at the start there's been a lot of work that's gone into that a lot of development that's gotten into that and a lot of people in the Mets organization who have helped him get there uh over the over time uh so I you know I I don't really judge guys on who's in the dugout like you know most starting pitchers are not in the dugout after they after the inning in which they depart the game uh, mm-hmm. that is that is kind of standard uh most guys uh are not around the team when they're out for an extended period of time uh the right. way DeGrom was that's that's kind of standard uh you know you you end up seeing those guys a lot in in like Miami because they're rehabbing either at home in Florida or at the team's facility in Port St. Lucie um so I, none of that raises an eyebrow to me. Uh, yeah, I you know, mean, I, you, I mean, Degrom learned his changeup famously from Johan Santana re- rehabbing in Port St. Lucie. Like you can you can decry him being at that facility instead of with the team, but it's probably better for doing your rehab for one thing. And for the other thing, there is some chance that there is now some twenty-two-year-old pitcher who just learned Jacob Degrom's slider. <laughs> that would. <laughs> Find out Jacob Degrom was actually like he was running the Mets pitching lab in Port St. Lucie. Uh, I mean, for, it's, for not April a, it's not the July. it's not the worst idea. It's not the worst idea. <laughs> you know, I, there there are people who have who have in the sport who have brought up. You know, maybe Degrom could pitch through some of those injuries, especially the ones he had in 2021. Uh, that he was, you know, that that perhaps uh, he had grown so accustomed to this ridiculous standard he was setting and, and an ERA under one for much, much of that season that uh, he was a bit leery of pitching through pain, knowing that, you know, he was going to give up a couple runs probably, but he could get through it. And, you know, that's every pitcher goes about that process differently. Yeah. I remember uh, covering Clay Buckholtz in Boston, who was a guy who, like, didn't want to pitch if he felt anything less than 95%. Uh, and then, you know, started doing that. It was like, hey, like, I realized it's okay. Um, yeah. And got I, to the point where you can do that. I, I feel uh, like you can never really like when injuries are in play. That's your career. If Jacob Degrom feels like he can't go, we, you just have to understand that he can't go. 
Right. And, and you know, Scherzer has talked about that a ton in, in terms of mm-hmm. how he's learned his body. And he, he's, I remember I talked to him before spring training uh, and he pointed to a time where he was at the University of Missouri where he thought he could pitch through something. Uh, and he came like perilously close to requiring Tommy John surgery the year he was going to get drafted, which would have obviously changed a lot about uh, how much money he made early in his career in the in signing right. bonus where he would have gotten drafted and all that. Uh, and he, you know. He said he was lucky that someone basically stopped him from pitching when he thought he could. Uh, so everyone has different uh, thresholds there. Uh, that That's the only thing that I've heard brought up really about DeGrom's quote-unquote commitment to anything. Uh, so again, I, you know, it, it's, look, it's, it's possible that he would prefer to play somewhere that is not New York. Uh, if that is the case, uh, hopefully the Mets find that out relatively soon and the Mets uh, pivot to something else or they say hey how much do we need to buy you out of that preference we Um, can build you a tower in the sky where you never have to see (laughs) New York yeah um, you know, we'll we'll build you. We'll have Elon Musk come in and build a boring tunnel just for you uh, to to City Field. Um, oh, that would be so cool. I mean, not the <laughs> Elon Musk part, but like if there was like a set special Jacob Degrom transport, like or like a people mover, like a like one that was through the sky so you could see him, right? Like just like like a mile long tramway that only Jacob Degrom can ride, and so like you just know, like oh, there he goes. He's going to his. Stuff and he's in a uniform and everything i like that idea instead of facial recognition or a, or a fingerprint to get in you have to throw 102 mile an hour fastball. yeah and it's like it's like a, it's a they, they just put a quarter on the on a plate and it's like and if you can hit that quarter at over 100 you can ride the tram <laughs> um so you know that it, it look it's it's a really interesting free agency for him uh you know i think uh, we've got our, our free agency outlook series. We'll get to DeGrom later in the week with, with how much I think he might make. Um, and I think there, you know, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, the you look at his numbers are similar to what Scherzer had going into free agency last year. Obviously not off as good a season, uh, mm-hmm. but it reminds me a little bit of, of you know, even Pedro Martinez's free agency back in, in 2005. And, and will there be a team that wants to go like an extra year for him? That That's kind of uh, one of the dynamics in play. Well, there will be plenty of time to discuss that uh, Discuss that on future episodes. We will be back at some point during the World Series, I assume. Uh, if you've got a question, feel free to hit us up on Twitter. I'm at OG Ted Berg. Tim is at Tim Britton. Or you can email AskTedBerg at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. And Tim, peace out. Adios. Adios.